0: Welcome to the hope for the animals podcast sponsored by compassionate living i'm your host hope bohanic and you can find all our past shows by going to our website hope for and you can also find us on social media come and engage with us on facebook and instagram Well, festival season is upon us. It seems like all, or at least most, of the VegFests and vegan festivals happen in the fall, and we just had our Sonoma County VegFest in Santa Rosa, California, that I organize every year, and it was fantastic. Lots of great food. So I ate so much good food. Let's see, my favorite was the fried vegan mozzarella balls from Goatlandia Farm Sanctuary, and catering. That was delicious. I ate pastries from a Swedish bakery. I brought home vegan donuts and pop tarts. Wow, so much good food. We had bunnies and pigeons for adoption. They were adorable. So much beautiful animal art. I think we had four, three or four artists uh, that just had some beautiful, beautiful art. It was just a fabulous day. And our guest today is also a festival organizer, Erica Hazel, and we're going to talk about the importance of vegan food fests. So at the VegFest, when I was looking at the crowd of people and the long lines for the tacos, (laughs) I was reflecting on how far we have come in the last 30 years. It's really some hopeful history, I feel, because, you know, I remember back in the 90s, even the early 2000s, the community was was so small that you pretty, you pretty much knew every other vegan in your community, first of all. And you definitely knew all the events that were happening in your area. Uh, but that has really changed. Now there are just so many you don't even know all the events that are happening. There would maybe be a film showing at a library or something. But we really couldn't imagine an event the size and scale of... Of today's veg fests, they're just you know there wasn't there wasn't enough food really there wasn't enough vendors they're just there there it wasn't what we have today. We often gauge our progress by the abundance of vegan food available now in stores and restaurants. but I think another metric of our success are these vegan festivals all across the world. It's so amazing how now. You just can't keep up with how many events are in an area, especially an area like the Bay Area, uh, but any major city now. That slowed during the pandemic, of course, and a lot of events moved online. But even thinking about that, you can pretty much watch a vegan webinar or conference online every day if you wanted to. There's that many. I think that this is, is so important. It shows how far we've come. Some of these events get criticized for preaching to the choir, you know, but what I would say to that is, one, the choir can always do better. The choir needs to learn more, learn how to communicate better, gain more knowledge. That is so important. And two, if the choir isn't having fun, they'll quit, right so so building community is so important helping people feel supported and connected and and having fun to have fun as vegans i think this is so important because we we're very sensitive people because we feel the pain of the world we feel what's happening to the animals and the planet and we just have to find ways to laugh, right? And to celebrate and to feel positive about the world. And that's what these festivals do for us. And the veg curious pre vegans do come. We get a good percentage of pre vegans to our veg fest. And I know it's the reason that people go vegan in our area. So it's excellent outreach. So let's now bring in Erica and hear more about Her Food Fest in Berkeley. Okay, today we are joined by Erica Hazel. Erica became the Berserkly Vegan after transitioning to the vegan lifestyle in October of 2016. And the name the Berserkly Vegan comes from her love of everything others see as bizarre or unique about Berkeley, California. And the Berserkly Vegan is not only a popular social media influencer and food blogger, but also organizes the Berserkly Vegan Food Fest. Erica's goal is to engage with people to help them find the best plant-based foods the world has to offer. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. Hi, Hope. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. So we like to start the interviews with your vegan origin story, and we got the win. We got the win in your bio. That was uh, 2016 that you went vegan, but why did you go vegan? What inspired you to go vegan? (laughs)
1: Yeah. So when I was in college, I was on the Society of Pre-Veterinary Students um, board while I was in college at UC Irvine, and I tried to be a biology major. And, you know, it doesn't really work out when you keep failing chemistry. But (laughs) as I, you know, was walking around campus, someone handed me a flyer. And on the outside of the flyer, it said, do you want to help animals? And when I opened up the flyer, it showed, you know, the horrors of animal agriculture, animal farming. And so I was really shocked because I didn't realize that where the food I was eating, the animals, where they were coming from. And so that was something that I think a lot of non-vegans don't realize how the animals are treated, you know, in animal agriculture and that just shined a really harsh light on me that I, it was a, it was a wake-up call for me yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And so after I got that wake up call, I started doing my own research and I was just very a lot more conscious about my choices. But for me, I started out, I went through kind of different diets before I fully transitioned to veganism. And for me, I was watching a Netflix documentary called Vegucated. Have you ever heard of it?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that one.
1: Uh Yeah, it was interesting to me because it wasn't your typical, like, let me tell you why your lifestyle is wrong or let me tell you how to fix your lifestyle. It was more a social experiment. And I thought that it was so interesting that they took these people through this kind of trial of why veganism is good for, you know, mind, body and spirit, as well as why it's better for the planet. Yeah. It had a real impact on me. And so I think I watched it in two parts or three parts. And by the time I watched the last part of it and it was really powerful to see how it really edu- it educated and it educated <laughs> the people who did it. Yeah. Um, I threw out all the animal products in my house, um, animal-based products that were in my house because I wanted my, my diet to match my ethics.
0: Yeah. So you organize this food fest in Berkeley that's called the Berserkly Vegan Food Fest and you are the Berserkly Vegan online. And it it just happened a few weeks ago in September, early September, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, So tell us about that food fest. How did that get started? What inspired you?
1: Yeah. So actually I just wanted to correct you really quick. It's the Berserkly Food Festival. And the reason it's not the Berserkly Vegan Food Festival ah. is because the whole point of this festival is to destigmatize and demystify what vegan food is. And so I've actually had a lot of people point out, you know, you don't say it's a vegan food
0: festival. I'm like, I know, because vegan food is just food. Yeah, I just I assumed that. Sorry. So yeah, thanks for correcting me. Now, oh tell, no, tell I tell us a- about that. Tell us why you why you chose to do that.
1: Yeah. So for me, once I started being vegan, I had all these amazing mentors on Instagram who were just teaching me like how to make the vegan version of In-N-Out's animal fries, how to do this, how to do that. And so I started traveling the country, going to different vegan food festivals by myself and with friends. And so I've been to ones in Southern California, the ones here in the Bay area, the Portland vegan food festival, the Atlantic city vegan food festival. And for me, Um, I have a lot of friends that are pop-up chefs who go to different places and sell their amazing food, you know, once or twice a month at these different locations. And for me, I just wanted to combine the best of all of the food festivals that I had been to and also eliminate the parts of them that were not as appetizing, um, for lack of a better term, to both the vendors and to the guests. And so... For me, for example, what I love about the Portland Vegan Food Festival is there's a ton of samples. I love how many samples are at the Portland um, Veg Fest and in Southern California at the no at the no longer in operation eat drink vegan food festival, where I used to organize a like kind of like a road trip or a meetup of Bay Area vegans to go down to LA. What I loved about the Eat Drink Vegan Food Festival was that it was just so much fun. It felt like a big party, like a giant, big vegan party. And I Mm. love that. And getting to meet like vegan celebrities and vegan influencers who I followed on social media and some of my favorite vegan businesses who were either on the East Coast in LA or even from the United Kingdom. So that was just really powerful and really important to me. And so with the Berserkly Food Festival, the whole point is to have these amazing berserkly vegan approved vendors. So everyone, 80% of the vendors I have tasted and I love their food and I want everyone else to love their food as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I saw on your uh, Instagram that you were having people having the vendors taste test. Like you wanted a taste test before the event before you'd let them in. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's what separates my food festival from a lot of other festivals is that
1: it's not just apply and you can be there because I think the problem, not the problem with veganism, but one aspect of veganism is that, you know, I got my start as a food critic. Like I taste food and I, you know, recommend it to get more people to eat more plant-based, to eat more vegan. We have to give them, in my opinion, I want to share the foods that are going to hook them And keep them coming back. And so, like the vegan hood chefs in San Francisco, they are, you know, showstoppers. They're amazing. Yeah, Uh, Vegan Heat in Vallejo, not too many people get out to Vallejo or Vallejo. I wanted to bring her to the East Bay so people could try her food and get to know her better. Mm. And, you know, having some major retailers like Brave Robot, whose ice cream I absolutely love. And Eclipse ice cream, I think it was really important to show people who are not vegan. I had a lot of, we have a lot of non-vegans, probably 30% of our audience is non-vegan. When they show up, they're like, oh, I can buy this at so-and-so. I can buy this at so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, that's going to keep them from picking up cow and dairy-based ice cream and keep them picking up plant-based ice cream. Because my goal is to eliminate people's desire to use animal agriculture-based products And transition fully over to vegan based products.
0: Yeah. 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 That's great. And I I appreciate that so much because. I, I've been one of those for years and years, like even at like potlucks, we used to do these potlucks and I would go around and kind of taste everything. And if there was something that didn't taste good or that was just crappy, I would pull it. I'd pull it and put it back where nobody could, see (laughs) you know, because you want people, you want the best of the best, especially if it's, it could be their very first time eating vegan food. And there's that stereotype of, oh, it's bad. It's dry. It's terrible. It's whatever. And vegan food, as we know, is, can be so incredible. So we want to showcase that, right? Showcase the best of the best, especially at an event where they might be non-vegans.
1: Absolutely. And I think also I've met people who were vegan, like a coworker of mine I was like, oh yeah, I was vegan for five years. And now I'm back to eating animal agriculture-based products. And I'm like, what? So I think it's also important to, show the best of veganism in terms of food to vegans as well. So they don't want to transition back because for me hearing that as a baby vegan, a new vegan was really disheartening. Cause I just was like, I can't imagine going back to eating animal agriculture based products. That's so weird that you were a vegan for five years and then you, you know, transitioned back. And so for me, the path that I want to encourage people to go vegan is through their stomachs. Um, Mm. Because food is love. Food is community. Food is so many things to so many people. And so we all have different forms of activism. Going through the stomach is my form of activism <laughs> to get people it. to go vegan. Yeah. And the other b- major part of the food festival was, you know, I started to plan this festival in like February, March of 2020, before the COVID-19 pandemic shut everything down. And so my concern was in 2020, I was like, oh, there are places going out of business. This is scary. And so I couldn't imagine my favorite businesses, on Sabor, Sabelle's Front Room, The vegan hood chefs going out of business and no longer making their delicious foods. Mm. And so the first year, the, the Berserkly Food Festival was actually in fall of 2020, where we had people play bingo. And once they played bingo, they could win prizes donated from other vegan small businesses so that we were able to promote these small vegan businesses, so they would not go out of business. And a lot of our businesses in the food festival, both back in 2020 until today, are women-owned businesses, the global majority or people of color-owned businesses. And so that's a huge push for me. It was really beautiful this year at the Berserkly Food Festival. I don't think I've ever seen so many you know, African-American black people at a vegan food festival before. Mm. And um, it was really beautiful because it was such a diverse space. Like there were people of all ethnic backgrounds, different sexual orientations, like everything. It was so beautiful to see how diverse it was. And some of the feedback we got was everyone here is just so happy. And I'm like, I know, I don't know why the vibes (laughs) are so good here, but they really are. And, you know, we grew exponentially this year in a way that we didn't anticipate because we had about 500 people waiting to get in when we opened at 11 a.m. Wow, which we did not anticipate from last year. It was quite the opposite, and so uh, next year we're going to be expanding the festival. And you know, my goal is always to have a consumer consumer friendly, a guest friendly event because while it's not a food festival without the food vendors. But it's also not a food festival without the customers. And thankfully this year, with everything that happened, our vendors sold out so fast. There was so much support, so much love for them. And so we really want to keep that energy going next year. So we're going to take the feedback that we got and make sure that it is as successful and happy for the vendors as it is for our guests. But yeah, we were so surprised to see hundreds and hundreds of people lined up at like 10 45 in the morning before we even opened it was the the turnout was amazing, even in, you know, a record setting heat wave. It was just it was just amazing.
0: Yeah. Building community is so important. And you, know, you mentioned a friend that was vegan for a while and went back to eating animal products. And, and a lot of that can be social. It can be uh, that they didn't feel supported socially or that they had community connections. So it's such an important part of these events to uh, build community. So Erica, what excites you about veganism right now? You know, um, one of my
1: speakers at the Berserkly Food Fest, uh, her name is Sabrina Siff on Instagram. She's been a vegan for 17 years. And it was so cool to have her speak at the festival because her topic was around the evolution of veganism and how it was just, you know, follow your heart and Tofurky products to now it, you know, projected to, if it's not already, a billion dollar industry at this point. And so for me, what most excites me about veganism today is how easy it is to go and stay vegan. And I think I'm really excited to see how many companies are offering vegan options and are offering even little things. Like I went to a cafe in Lake Merritt by my job and it wasn't on the main menu, but next to the cash register was a sign. We have vegan cream cheese. I was like, shut up. You have <laughs> vegan cream cheese for my bagel? I thought I was going to have to get a dry bagel, mm, you know, yeah, or I was going to have to keep a pat of vegan butter <laughs> in my purse or something. And so it was so cool. And they were like, yeah, we have vegan cream cheese and I'll put avocado on your bagel. Like it's not the days of having, you know, a very bland or dry or, you know, the just the iconic I'm only, I can only eat French fries here and hopefully Rice they're not fries, cooked in, yep. you know, the yeah. same oil as animal products. So I think for me, veganism is just becoming so mainstream. So I think it's the progression of veganism just being normalized and not stigmatized, not this taboo that's only for you know, tree huggers, you know, lifestyle and diet, I think is just beautiful for not just humans, just for the planet and animals in general.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Erica, do you ever miss meat?
1: Um, so I really love that question, because it goes back to my whole like, you know, hey, veganism is not just you think about it one day, and you're done. It's a constant thing. And so I think I posted on my Instagram page a year ago, I was having nightmares about eating like fried chicken in my, dr- like in my dreams, oh, it was yeah. so weird. Oh, yeah. um, and so when it comes to, and I think this is like a really big question around veganism for non-vegans. Like I think one of the, I don't know if it's a vegan slur, but like one of the things that, you know, you don't know what you're missing. You need to go back to eating the real thing, this, that, and the other. And I think when we talk about, you know, what am I missing? No, I'm not missing anything. I'm not unhappy. I'm not eating tofu and pretending or closing my eyes and pretending that it's not tofu. <laughs> so yeah, when it comes to missing meat, I've had meat nightmares or meat mares, um, meat-mares. which are not fun. Oh. <laughs> um, they're not fun. Cause I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I didn't want to hurt that chicken. Cause I really don't like my ethics come first. Yeah. And I think that's the whole point of the Berserkly Food Festival is that you can have that similar sensation and experience of eating fried deep fried oyster mushrooms with hot sauce or buffalo, you know, vegan buffalo sauce or whatever, to have that same experience. So when I people ask me, do you miss meat? I say no, because I'm not missing anything. I found the things that I'm looking for in veganism that have replaced what you are worried about missing, you know, people have been like, oh, you want to try my cake? And I'm like, you made that with eggs and milk, you know, cow's milk. Yeah, just try it. No, I'm not going to do that. Like trying your cake is not worth compromising this part Mm -hmm. of myself. This is who I am now. It's not a diet. And I really abhor the term diet restriction because I'm not restricted. I could put anything I want in my mouth. Mm-hmm, it's a right. dietary, it's just my, it's my dietary lifestyle. It's my dietary mm-hmm. need. It's my dietary preference. Yes. Um. So yeah, I just, there's, there's just so many negative connotations around veganism that with the Berserkly Food Festival, I'm able to show people you can have your nachos and your this and your that because i think i think that you know when it comes to missing stuff i want people to miss plastic bags but love reusable bags i want people to live a more animal friendly lifestyle outside of their stomachs but i know the stomach is a very big compass for a lot of people and how they choose to live their lives. And so that's why I use the berserkly food Fest in my Instagram page to guide people's stomachs to more animal protective and friendly ways. But like you said, it's so many other aspects of our lives that we want to also steer people to leaving animals alone and having better alternatives for.
0: Yeah. Oh, the meat mirror. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's such a great description. <laughs> I, I, I had those too. I used to have. Luckily, I, I don't anymore. It's been a while, but, but I used to have those dreams where you're like eating something, and you suddenly realize it's meat, and it's like, oh, and you're so just disgusted and and overwhelmed, yeah. and yeah, it's a horrible, horrible feeling in your dream. I know. I've I've totally had that. And it's true, people will be like, Well, don't you miss this? Or wouldn't you want to just try this? To me, animal product food, foods that are made from animals, it's not food. Like it's just, I don't even consider it food. You know, it to me, it's suffering. It is a representation of the suffering that the animals endure. And so that cake doesn't look good anymore when you really think it through. uh, And it's just not food. The only food that really exists is vegan food.
1: Right. And that looks like, you know, plants and nuts and legumes and all the things. And I think the beautiful part about modern veganism is that you can have that amazing cake without the cruelty.
0: Right. That's right.
1: Going back to what you just said about it doesn't look appetizing anymore. It just looks like suffering. Um, I think for a lot of people, what I know from talking to non-vegans is cheese, uh, dairy animals from the ocean are some of the hardest things to give up. But like you said, when I look at, you know, a Dungeness crab feed, all I'm looking at people ripping up body parts and eating like, it's like very zombified behavior to me because we're also, we're human animals. And so it's like, I just, it just, everyone just looks like, you know, an episode out of The Walking Dead or something. And I'm just like, you're eating body parts. Like, yeah. that's a leg. That's yeah. so, yeah. So, same. Like, all I see is suffering. I just see, I just, it doesn't look
0: like food anymore. That's right. That's right. It's so disturbing. Yeah. So I want to take us in a different direction. I want to ask you about the humane hoax. We talk a lot about the humane hoax on this show. And of course, the humane hoax is all those labels that we're seeing, the cage-free, free free range, grass-fed, and we're seeing it so much more now. I wonder if you want to uh, share your thoughts about the humane hoax.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, my background is I'm a therapist. Um, I've been a, ch- a, a child and adolescent therapist for um, almost a decade now. And for me, a lot of vegans ask me, How do you incorporate veganism in your job when you're working with children? And as a therapist, my job is not to try to convince anyone to do anything that is not what they want to do. But as a therapist working with kids in a place that has all these animal products constantly, I just simply educate them on like, oh, Miss Erica, why aren't you eating the hamburger or whatever? And I'm like, well, you know, I love cows, so I wouldn't eat cows. And so when I think about the humane hoax, I think about how when we say things like cage-free, you know, the new term that's come up recently is greenwashing. Mm-hmm. where we paint things as eco-friendly or better for the environment or better for whomever when it's actually not and so when i think of things like grass-fed and you know people are like oh yeah i'm going to get the grass-fed beef or you know cow animal agriculture product for the barbecue and i'm like but you know that cow still died right like it didn't <laughs> want to die yeah. and the conditions of cage-free eggs there it's still not It's not the positive that you think it is. It's not, it does not abdicate you of the cruelty that you are a part of, which is what happened to me when I got that pamphlet that showed the horrors of animal agriculture. And so I think, you know, I don't want to slander anyone for like, you know, or shame them to be like, you're not doing a good job because you're still doing this. But I think it's just like, let's just stop and think about this. I'm not going to try to convince you that it's good or bad, but I'm going to ask you grass fed beef. So it was given grass and then its throat was, you know, like, you know what I mean? So it's like, I just calmly like talk to people about it because I know when I wasn't vegan, I don't know how I would feel if someone were to like, you know, yell and scream in my face about like what really happened to the animal, whether it was grass fed or not, but the result is still the same. It doesn't change how that cow ended up on your plate.
0: Yeah. I don't think as vegans, we actually really do yell and scream. I don't think we ever did. I think that's just how people perceive it <laughs> when we're, when we're just, you know, saying why we're vegan or talking about it calmly. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know, maybe there were a few out there that were yelling and screaming, but, um, but, uh, you know, we get that reputation and I, I really think it's more of a perception uh, because people feel guilty, you know, and I understand that. Everybody wants to believe that they're a compassionate person and that they're doing compassionate things. And, and when we are just pointing out to them that, hey, what you're doing, you know, causes suffering, it's hard. It's hard for people to hear that. And so instead of looking at themselves, I think they feel attacked. So uh, but yeah, but you were talking about greenwashing. There's this is humane washing. The humane hoax right. is humane washing. Yeah. So it's kind of that perception that something is humane when it's not. And it's all marketing. It's the it's the industry telling a story that is untrue.
1: Yeah. And I think I don't know if it's humane washing or not, but the thing that really grinds my gears is definitely when I see animals being used to advertise a product that's made up of out of their bodies like a pig holding a plate of bacon oh,
0: that's like yeah. the most awful
1: yeah the most odd grotesque thing to me yeah. or like a fish advertising like to eat tuna it's just so weird and i think that's also a part of the psychology behind the marketing of these products there's no smiling pig who is offering up its own flesh for you to eat like yeah. but when you see that smiling animal it makes you feel like you're in community and not in, you know, cahoots for the murder of these animals. And I know I can just speak for myself. I definitely wasn't angry vegan when I first went vegan. I was very (laughs) passionate and very upset. And I could see, I could see how someone would definitely perceive me and the other people who I was with as being, you know, very confrontational or, on the aggressive side, but I definitely think for some people, when you first go vegan, you're just like, how could anyone think this way? How, how could anyone possibly not see how harmful and how cruel and how all these things. And so I definitely think whether vegans are yelling and screaming or not, whether, you know, that's how people take it in or whether it's true or not there's validity in the passion yeah. and in the energy that people have behind them when they're looking at injustice, you know, sure. yeah. we don't have to, you know, pacify the feelings of people who are participating in harm. And I think that's just one of the things around eco washing is that, you know, you think, you know, or uh, greenwashing is that you think that you're being good to the animals. you you think that you're being better to the animals, but I really want to illuminate to you how this is just a hoax, that humane hoax around what really happens to this animal before it gets to the supermarket and that you purchase it at the store. And I think that definitely um, as vegans who are passionate about the animals, because the thing about veganism is not everyone goes vegan for the animals, but no matter why you went vegan, we appreciate that you're keeping animals off of your plate. I think it's really important to be that voice for the voiceless. That's so, that's so important.
0: Yeah. Well, Erica, it's, it's really been wonderful to talk to you. I've enjoyed it a lot and uh, we do need to wrap up though. So I wanted to ask you, what gives you hope for the future? What gives
1: me hope for the future? Ha, that's your name too. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what give, I think, just seeing how powerful vegans are and giving kudos to people who have like you who have been doing this for decades you know who have been advocating for the humane treatment of animals for decades and just looking at how this is becoming so mainstream in the sense that You know, we're able to voice our concerns and our passions and change things. You know, we're definitely transitioning towards a future that is going to look a lot different. And I'm really hoping for the future that we can see protections of animals like sharks who are in a kind of pseudo or unregulated animal agriculture when it comes to things like shark fin soup or, you know, shark based products. So I'm, you know, my hope is that with this continued momentum that people like you have started for the past few decades, that we see an even more vegan, not vegan friendly, but animal friendly, animal supportive, anti-animal agricultural world.
0: Yeah, really well said. Thank you, Erica. Thank you so much for being on and thank you for all the work that you're doing in Berkeley. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I hope that you have a vegan festival in your area that's close to you that you either just went to or are planning to go to. It's it's so much fun to wander around and know that everything is vegan, that you can eat any of the food, and that those around you are compassionate, caring people who get you, you know, our vegan community. It's pretty amazing. I, I, I hope you have a vegan festival in your area and that you can go and have fun. So coming up next time, we have a Halloween-themed show for you with Marla Rose from Vegan Mainstream. She's going to be talking about Halloween and being vegan around the holidays, and I'm going to give my take on horror movies, zombies, and veganism. I have some thoughts about this to share for this spooky time of the year. Looking forward to sharing that with you. And I hope you're enjoying the change of seasons, some cooler weather, hopefully coming soon. And I I just I can't wait for my first cup of hot cocoa. I am ready. I'm ready for it ready for fall. So enjoy it. And remember, live vegan. And the veg furious the, the veg furious. <laughs>